0: The following is a message at Living Savior Church in Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. To learn more, go to lsavior.org. The candidate for public announces, uh, public office, tells his constituents, once I'm in office, everybody in my constituency, everybody in, in, my, in my region, in my district will enjoy happiness, prosperity." and security. But of course, it's all a deception. The best-selling author touts his new science of what he calls getting older without getting old. He tells his readers that if they follow his high-quality diet, exercise just 30 minutes a day, don't smoke, No excessive drinking. If they do all that, then many of of us will enjoy living to be 120 years and longer, without aging. But of course, it's all a deception. Karnak the Magnificent instructs his lovely assistant to climb into a narrow box her head projecting one, one e- from one end of the box, her feet from the other. He turns the box around. He somehow drags a hoop, a round, large round hoop from one end of the box to the other. There's no escaping this long, narrow box. Then, Carmack the Magnificent takes out a lumberjack saw and he saws the box in half. And as the audience gasps, He pulls the box apart, pushes the box back together, throws his cape over the box, turns the box all the way around, lifts the cape, and voila, there's his assistant smiling at the audience to everybody's applause. But of course, it's all a deception. All a deception. That's what many people nowadays think about what we say in regard to Easter. Matter of fact, that's what people were saying back then about the Easter promise. You see, the the very Saturday before that momentous Sunday, the religious leaders of Jerusalem, they, they met with the governor and they begged him to provide security for the tomb. What they told the governor was, we remember that while Jesus was still alive, this deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So what's going to happen, they warned the governor, is that his disciples are going to come, they'll steal the body, and they'll say, he's been raised from the dead. So the governor allowed them to, to post a guard around the tomb that Saturday and into Sunday. He had a, a, a seal, a wax seal affixed to the large stone that was that was pushed in front of the entrance to the tomb. That way if anybody tampered with it, they'd be found out. Otherwise everyone feared the Disciples' deception would be even worse than the first deception that this Jesus had foisted on his listeners. Several times during his public life, his opponents labeled Jesus to be a deceiver. Nowadays, all sorts of folks like what Jesus said about love, about forgiveness, about peace to the nations, yet many insist that what Jesus and his followers have always said about his rising from the dead, that can't possibly be right. What they call it is a a well-orchestrated hoax, a lie of some sort, a mistake on the part of those who wrote down these words years ago. Could it be? Could that be what it is? Not according to God the Holy Spirit's own writers. God the Holy Spirit's own writers put before our eyes and ears the the statements again and again that cannot be disputed. What they tell us is Jesus Christ rose from the dead just as he said. That's no deception not in his death, and certainly not in his resurrection. Now, in order for somebody to rise from the dead, first of all, they have to actually be dead. They can't merely have fallen asleep or fainted because of pain or suffering. They can't have have entered into a swoon or or fallen into a coma. The witnesses of the cross tell us that on that Good Friday at 3 o'clock p.m. local time, Jesus actually died. They heard his words. They heard him say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then, according to the witness, Jesus gave up his spirit. Jesus truly died. No deception there. Within a couple of hours, the the Jewish leaders in the city requested that the governor would take down all three of those bodies, the the three so-called criminals on the crosses, take down all three of them, so that they would not defile the, the Jewish Sabbath that began that, that sunset. So the governor sent out his soldiers. They saw that two of the criminals were still living, so they hastened their death by breaking their legs. But when they came to Jesus, they found he had already died. Still, one of the soldiers took a, a spear and took pushed it into Jesus' side, piercing his heart, just to be doubly sure. The evangelist, St. John, writes about that. He says, the man who saw this has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows he's telling the truth. It's no deception. Jesus truly died. More evidence. Joseph from Arimathea and his assistant, a man named Nicodemus, received permission to take Jesus' body down from the cross. They poured fragrant spices over the body, wrapped it in linen cloths, And then they laid it in the brand new tomb that Joseph from Arimathea had recently cut out of rock. Now, Joseph and Nicodemus, they would know what a dead body was. So would the women who were sitting there and observing them as they did this, even those religious leaders who were so concerned about him rising from the dead or somebody stealing his body, even the religious leaders, they all agreed Jesus had truly died. Even Jesus himself agreed with that. Some months earlier, many miles away from this place, Jesus had told his followers that he was going to go up to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many things and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then, weeks later, he made that prediction a second time. And then, while he was on his way to Jerusalem to, to do that very thing, he predicted his death and resurrection a third time, this time quite precisely. He said, everything that is written about me by the prophets will be fulfilled. And then he told them that he would be delivered over to the Gentiles. They would mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They would flog him and kill him. On the third day, he would rise again. So the witnesses to the death of Christ were both friends and foe, even Jesus himself. Jesus truly died. Normally there's no comfort in somebody's death, but in Jesus' death there most certainly is. Jesus' death fulfilled the words of the prophets hundreds of years earlier who said that carrying our sins, he would, he would suffer death for them. Jesus' death paid the ransom price that sets me and you and the world free from, from guilt and from the fear of death. Jesus' death is scripture says the once and for all sacrifice that has pleased god the father so much that afterwards he's decided he's decided to adopt us as his children jesus death is a great comfort to god's people and this one thing we have to know it really happened he truly died. And then there are those women on that Sunday morning. St. Matthew names two of them for us, Mary Magdalene and another woman named Mary. Other reporters mention a Salome, a Joanna, and other women with them. They're on their way to make things right as far as the burial of Jesus was concerned. See, they were the ones watching on that Friday afternoon, and they saw how hastily. Joseph from Arimathea and and Nicodemus had to had to do the, the the preparations and how quickly they rolled the big stone in place to block the tomb and 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 then how they all had to rush off to be back to their homes before the, the Sabbath began at, at at sunset. Now with with barely a glimmer of light on the horizon, these five six seven women are heading back carrying fragrant spices and more linens. They're talking about the heavy stone at the entrance to the tomb, and they're wondering who would roll the stone away from, from, for them. St. Matthew, for our benefit, actually answers that question with a bit of a flashback. He explains that during the night There had been an earthquake, an extraordinary earthquake, because during this earthquake, an angel came down from heaven, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. He tells us, Matthew does, that the angel looked like a a flash of lightning and that his his clothes were as, as white as snow. The security detail that was guarding the tomb was no match for the angel. St. Matthew tells us the guards were so afraid of this angel, they shook and became like dead men, frozen in fear. So when the women arrive at the tomb, the guard, once posted at the tomb, they, they've, they've gone back into the city. They're probably hoping never to have to explain to anybody what had happened, what they had seen. But the stone has been rolled aside. According to one account, when Mary Magdalene saw the stone rolled aside, she immediately ran off into the city to tell tell Peter and John that somebody had come and, and stolen the body. But the other women go into the tomb. And there he is. The angel, looking like a flash of lightning with with clothes as as white as snow. They're they're terrified of the angel, but the angel tells them, do not be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. And then, the very first after-the-fact announcement of what Jesus had emphatically foretold beforehand. He's not here, the angel said. He has risen just as he said. It's no deception. It's no carefully orchestrated hoax. It's no lie. Jesus truly rose. Thirty-some years earlier, the angel Gabriel appeared to an elderly man named Zechariah, told Zechariah that he and his elderly wife would have a baby. Zechariah's response, he didn't believe the angel. Zechariah, in his own words, spoke what he truly thought, that the angel somehow was lying to him. Well, that angel responded to prove that, that any angel of light who serves in the presence of God cannot and will never lie. So right away, these women standing in, in the empty tomb have the testimony, actually, of, of two witnesses who could not possibly deceive anyone. One, a holy angel who cannot lie, has told them Jesus has risen from the dead. And two, there's the words that Jesus himself had been saying for for months at a time. Those two witnesses then start to multiply. Because the women, as they walk out of the tomb with wonder in their eyes, there's Jesus, and they they speak with him, risen, and and, and they touch him. And, and Mary Magdalene, she comes back from the city, uh, and, and, and she too sees Jesus. He, he, she immediately and it, instant, early on thinks that he's just the gardener, but then he speaks to her, makes quite clear to her he's the very one who has always loved her with an eternal love. And then, well, the multiplication continues. The Apostle Paul saw the the resurrection of Jesus as so important that he wrote extensively about those who were the witnesses in addition to these women. We read that earlier. He writes, For what I received from the Holy Spirit, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, also known as Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some, now 25 years later as he writes this, some have fallen asleep in death, Then Christ appeared to James, then to all the apostles. In fact, the risen Lord appeared to the apostles several times, talking with them, eating with them, explaining scripture to them, going for a a walk with them, standing on a shore as they're out fishing and, 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 and causing a miracle for their benefit. St. Paul adds, last of all, he appeared to me also. There's no mistake. No lie. No well-orchestrated hoax. No deception. Jesus truly rose. Back when I was a little boy, my family had a a toy wagon that we we kept out in the garage wagon about about this long black handle on the end for pulling it down the sidewalk painted red ours was a little rusty emblazoned on the side of on on the two sides of of the wagon radio flyer it was when i was a boy that i actually learned what a linchpin is. A linchpin is a little jagged steel pin. For a wagon, maybe it'd be about this long. And the purpose of the linchpin is to be inserted at each end of an axle to keep the wheels from falling off. Linchpin, of course, has become a a figure of speech. So now we might say the linchpin is someone or something who or that keeps the wheels from falling off. A linchpin is someone or something that, that makes sure that everything is working. That's what the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is. Without that as the linchpin, the wheels come off. And everything we, we say as, as Christian people is, is is really just pious thought that's probably no different than anybody else's pious thoughts. But with it, with the certainty of our Lord's death for our sins and his resurrection, with that as the linchpin, you and I have so many assurances with with the death and resurrection of Jesus as the linchpin, we have the assurance that Jesus lives to continue to serve as our Savior, our Redeemer, our Guardian, our Provider. With with his death and resurrection as the linchpin, we can be absolutely positive that the living Savior is directing everything for for our everlasting good. With, With his death and resurrection as holding everything together, We can be certain that our living Savior is with us through the happy times to celebrate with us and through the sad times to to grieve with us. That that our, our living Savior intercedes for us before the Heavenly Father to make sure that he always does what is best for his dear children. With the death and resurrection of Jesus as the linchpin, we can be certain that everything he tells us in Scripture, all that's written by Moses and the prophets and the apostles in his name, it's all true and reliable. With the death and resurrection of Jesus as the linchpin holding everything together, we can be certain that loved ones of ours who have died the moment of their death They were gathered into their Savior's arms. And we can be certain of this, that at at the death of this body, yours as well, the soul goes to be with the Lord, the body laid in the ground. Whatever happens to the body, the Lord is going to return on the last day and raise each of us, body joined to the soul and spirit, to live with the Lord in peace and joy, in everlasting service and praise to the glory of his name. It's no deception. It's a certainty. That's why Christians for many, many centuries have always had this this way to greet one another during the Easter season and even afterwards. We say to one another, we say, Christ is risen. And to that, nobody says, says who? How do you know for sure? What can you possibly believe about something like that? No, one person or more says to another, Christ is risen. And the response, because it's such a certain fact, is the response, he's risen indeed. Alleluia, which means praise the Lord invite you to do that with me right now. I'll speak the, the initial greeting. You respond. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed.